Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Kyla Aquino Irving, who is an incredible human. She was born in the Philippines, raised in Northern California. She is a social justice advocate and was a double kidney transplant recipient. We really have so much to talk about, Kyla. So let's just jump right into this and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, Summer. Well, I'm excited to have you. So let's talk about you being born in the Philippines and your journey to California. So fill us in. Sure. So I actually don't even have any memories of my migration to the United States. I was uh, under two years old or so. I think I was around then. I know it was Valentine's Day, 1981. So maybe I was too. Um, yeah, my parents were very young. They were in their 20s um, and they came here not knowing much about anything. I mean, it's funny how they came from privilege and then came here to find that they had to walk, clean houses because they just couldn't find jobs and they didn't, they weren't familiar, you know, they didn't have the connections where they could get higher paying jobs. So, you know, they went from being elite and privileged to just starting out like anyone else who first comes to this country. And it was very humbling for them. And I think it was, it's changed the way I've grown up compared to my cousins in the Philippines who come from that privilege, you know, because I've had that I have the American story of having to work for yourself, wash your own dishes, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But I also know that I do have privilege. And so that's, that's shaped, you know, my passion in the world, which we'll talk about soon in looking at uh, equity from a real lens of, of how we can make sure everyone's got access to what they need. Right. So you grew up in California. So tell us about that journey a bit. Sure. So our family's Mayflower is um, Fremont, which is the in the Bay Area near San Francisco. And uh, we lived there until I was about 10. And then um, we moved to Sacramento because the uh, houses were cheaper. And, you know, it was, in hindsight, a great place to go to school. I love that we were so diverse here. And uh, because so many parents worked for the state, it was a very, it was an equalizer, right? So you had all these kids from all these different backgrounds, but their parents kind of did the same thing. So there wasn't a lot of disparity in my experience, at least. Um, I'm sure there's always haves and have nots, but I love that, you know, my besties were from all corners of the country and all experiences. And so I was able to learn so much from that upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. So what was that like for you growing up in Fremont and then making that transition over to Sacramento. Was there any major differences, influences, how you perceived your schooling, your education? Tell me about that. Well, uh, I know I felt like I, was, I left somewhere re really cool to go somewhere not so cool. And I remember <laughs> all the kids who came from the Bay Area or somewhere else were always claiming that somewhere else rather than Sacramento, you know, like, oh no, I'm from the Bay. Oh, I was born in, you know, so-and-so, Vallejo. <laughs> Everyone's always claiming something else. And then all of a sudden we had this really great basketball team and everyone's claiming Sacramento all over again. <laughs> um, and I feel like I've made a switch because like my formative years of like learning to drive and like these streets, these streets are mine. So yeah. I feel like Sacramento is really where I, I grew up and blossomed. So I claim the Sacramento Kings, how terrible they are now, but you know, 
I got started watching in, in their heyday. Uh, so, you know, I went from feeling like I had to claim the Bay Area to be cool to like, nope, where I live is cool now. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm from California, as you well know. And so from the Santa Cruz area, the Monterey Bay type of area and went to school in the Bay Area at Berkeley. So I'm familiar with those mindsets and that that kind of talk. And, and, and I lived in Sacramento and worked at one of the largest county-based facilities in Sacramento. So I, I know I'm very familiar with that talk in that area and those basketball clubs. So, <laughs> right. I mean, we laugh at New York and how every little borough is like a distinct personality. Right. Um, it's like Northern California is just that way too, right? It's like, oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's jump into something that you can really speak to in relation to the challenges that you've confronted growing up and maybe some surprises. Let's talk about one of those major challenges for you. Well, I mean, if we want to just get right into it, when I was um, like 13 or 14, I started getting what seemed like a stomach flu. And so my parents um, took me to see a doctor just like anyone else would. And it was just like a kid has a stomach flu for maybe 24 hours and it's out of their system. I would have it for a week and like have so much time off school taken. And my mom would, she just knew instinctively that this wasn't right. Like something was a you know there's a deeper issue there and I remember it this was during um you know formative years when you're just like figuring yourself out freshman in high school and you know rumors were spreading at school that I was uh, bulimic or that I was like cutting class on purpose but I'm not hanging out with my friends <laughs> uh and that was a really hard experience high school is hard enough and to have you know a chronic illness that we didn't understand yet it was just something that like an extra burden to growing up um but anyway yeah my mom turned out to be right to her unfortunate you know uh experience she was right that my kidneys had completely failed so that's why i was being i was nauseated all the time and couldn't keep food down and um just had no energy and so when they got labs back, it, it was just so toxic that typically um, people don't live that long when they're not toxic. So I think being young and resilient, you just kind of bounce back and not even realize, you know, I mean, um, then I just, I just, I don't know, I just felt crummy and I didn't think anything of it. Um, but now that I'm older, you know, I, I follow my labs so closely. I know what it's like to feel at that level to versus, you know, where I'm at now yeah. and, um, ignorance was bliss. I think that's what got me through. <laughs> I wasn't familiar with all the things I am now. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. absolutely. It's, it's not just that ignorance, but I think just being young, having that mindset, um, you are going to live forever. It's you're going to survive oh, whatever. And and that's, that's a gift. I think that's a gift in many ways. So, I mean, I think about if, you know, God forbid I had to go through something else again. I mean, I know what to do when I'm in a medical situation. You know, I have my go-to standby things that I do, but, um, you know, I, it was a gift to be young and just like when they said, um, you're now going to be on dialysis. And I was like, okay, do it to me. And so I can go back to school tomorrow. And it was like, oh no, it's like a life sustaining, you know, ongoing thing. 
Uh, I didn't realize dialysis meant having to be connected to a machine three times a, a week, you know, so that my kidneys, so that my um, blood can be filtered the way that kidneys do. I had no idea. So, um, you know, I was in a position luckily where um, I didn't need to be on the transplant waiting list. Uh, my dad was a match. My mom, oddly enough, was pregnant the first time I was uh, undergoing dialysis. So she was ruled out right away. And I got my dad's kidney and that lasted me six years. And then I was a young, stupid teenager and uh, had to learn the hard way that you have to manage your health. And so I unfortunately lost my dad's kidney and was on dialysis for another six months until my mom gave me a kidney. And I've had that kidney um, for going on 20 years in August. So I had to learn a lesson the hard way, but uh, we'll never, <laughs> we'll never neglect myself again. Well, you know, I think that's really interesting that insight because we are at that age where at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, where it's natural to think I can do A, B, and C like everybody else. So mm -hmm. it's really difficult to tell somebody that young, hey, by the way, you're different and you're going to have to function differently. You're going to have to think differently about your health. It, I don't know how realistic a lot of times that is for somebody that young, because we're not just dealing with a mindset, we're dealing with hormones, we're dealing with change, we're dealing with so much at that time that impacts us naturally, organically. Right. So that's really hard to grasp. That would be really hard to grasp for any young, young adult. Right. I mean, plus your, your brain isn't even fully developed until you're 25. Exactly. So furthermore, I mean, yes, we have the, uh, the ability to adapt and to you know, have our DNA expressed a certain way, but that means that we have to take care of the body. We have to feed it different things. We have to exercise it in a certain way for it to express a different way. However, it's that age. It's funny. And I talk about this all the time. This is an example. Why car insurance companies really target young boys and why? Because it's not just about them being impulsive. It is the hormone changes that are going on physically and physiologically in their body that, and for young women too, right? So why young people are targeted by insurance companies and why rates are higher, because it's not just the mindset and their actions. It's about change. It's about physiological change. Right. So Absolutely. I think these expectations, you know, although you are going through something really difficult and challenging, those expectations are very difficult for somebody that young. How did you deal with that? Were you scared? I was super scared. I mean, my parents, you know, I, I found out later when I was older that they would take turns crying and so that they wouldn't show me that they're crying. And I, I had I no idea, but, um, you know, I'm so close to them. I was, you know, they were almost teenagers when they had me. So we're close in age and I was really close to them. Um, my mom is still someone I consider a best friend and, you know, we are silly people. We crack jokes all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. that's half of what gets us going is like when I'm in the ER or something, we're always cracking jokes. Uh, and, you know, part of it is to disarm the medical staff. You know, sometimes you get preferential treatment when they like you. I mean, <laughs> it's just kind of the way it goes. You know how to butter somebody up. They're going to be nicer and like, when they're extracting your blood for a blood draw, they might use a nice little butterfly needle instead of like 
jabbing you with a thick one, you know, so yeah, yeah, you know, I was taught just to kind of, um, it's funny, there's a personality test called the strength finder. Mm -hmm. And uh, the quality is called woo, where you're able to win others over right away. And I totally learned that from my parents, because they're very disarming and silly. And, you know, they'll make a joke of something and, you know, and then get like extra side dishes when they're at a chicken restaurant somehow and you're like how did we get all this food like you know we work our magic (laughs) well and I think too with certain people when they go through transition and they have to adapt they learn how to survive how to adapt how to integrate into the community and with your parents having to do that at such a young age being young people um, and transitioning from the Philippines and making and doing that migration over to California, you learn certain skill sets to be able to survive and adapt. And I think that's when that's modeled for us, we pick up on that and we learn how to make those relationships with people around us and you having to grow up. I mean, literally grow up in the medical milieu, right? makes a difference and you know how to create those relationships there you know like you said sometimes you get preferential treatment when you're kind and you're nice and you make those quick relationships and you know how to do that rapidly yeah so yeah and that's a skill it really is it really is so i'm glad you picked up on that because with you having to be part of that whole dynamic and in the medical arena so often it's important to know how to make relationships and how to advocate for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because you learn that from an early age on, where has that led you? What have you done? How does that, how has that developed in your life? Well, I can't talk about my self-advocacy journey without talking about the youth leadership program I did as a high school senior. Okay. Uh, called the Youth Leadership Forum for Students with Disabilities. Now, my mom, you know, bless her heart, is was an immigrant to this country and, first of all, had to learn how to assert herself when she had to push back and say, actually, no, we don't want this treatment for my daughter. Uh, I, w- I learned about this in my readings, and I would like to know if she can do this treatment. You know, she, was, she learned to be assertive. She learned to be, quote unquote, American um, through my journey of my health. Um, because in, in our culture, you just don't question authority like a doctor, you know? A doctor says something, you just go with it. I mean, they are the ones with the college degree and the medical degree. Who are you to, you know, insist upon what you think? Um, so that was, she was my first teacher for self-advocacy. Uh, and then through the journey, she was so hungry to just learn because she felt so, for lack of a better word, ignorant about everything that was going on. And I mean, how could you? I mean, you're not going to know about a chronic illness unless you have it yourself or, you know, somebody close to you has something like it and no one did. I mean, you know, anyway, so she put me in this program or this uh, youth leadership program called YLF or the Youth Leadership Forum for Students with Disabilities. And I fought tooth and nail. I was like, what is this? I am not disabled. I'm not in a wheelchair. Like for heaven's sake, why am I doing this? Right. And I remember the first day and, you know, she said, it'll look good on your resume. You know, you missed a lot of school because you were sick and I'm helping you you know, get something else in your resume to get you to college. And I was like, okay, I'll do it for that. Right. So I got my stuff with me and I get to this, um, it's, it's held in a dorm at Sac State, which later became my alma mater, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm there with my stuff and I see kids in wheelchairs. I see kids with different disabilities. And I'm like, 
oh no, this is not for me. And I remember just like holding on to my sleeping bag at the time and being like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And uh, I just, I was like, okay, I'm doing this for my resume. I'm doing this for like college entrance stories. And, you know, of course you come to find when you're in your small groups, learning about one another is that they're exact, we're all the same. Like we're all young people who've had some sort of a medical or, you know, some sort of um, diagnosis that has put us in a different category with other people. And then from there, we're like on a small, short leash with our parents. And we're on this trajectory to be like connected to our parents forever and never have this experience of independence. This program taught that you can have a disability and be independent and learn that there's an interdependence in the community where you're going to need something from other people, but you have lots to offer that you could potentially, you know, support someone else. Whether, you know, if for me, it's being an advocate being in public relations allows me to be a mouthpiece for lots of causes that I believe in. So I feel like there, it's, it's interesting because the disability movement is called the independent living movement where people can live from choice and live alone. Mm. However, it's really an interdependence movement because we need the supports of different folks. Some folks need uh, personal care attendant support. Some people need, you know, sign language interpretation. So it's more like an interdependence, but it's really coming from choice, which is the huge, um, it, it's really the crux of everything. It's like when someone is able to live at choice, that's true freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And so Absolutely. for me, that whole journey of self-advocacy came from that program. And I didn't realize it until much later that I was asked to speak uh, and become a, a panel speaker for their, their program. And now I do, I've been doing it every year since 2009. I've been a speaker. That is fantastic. Thank you. I love that journey. And so how did that kind of meld into what you do today professionally? <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, I really look at um, what I can do so I look at my skill set, right? So I have a degree in communications. I enjoy writing funny quips and sound bites and tweetable things to say, um, paired with a passion for, you know, health equity and addressing systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that through a nonprofit? Um, I really look at those, those factors and, you know, the opportunity to work at United Way came up. And that's exactly what they're doing. And, you know, United Way is the kind of organization that helps big co corporations um, allocate part of their paycheck to whatever nonprofit they like. Um, but also they work on literacy programs for communities that need it the most. Uh, those communities where test scores are not so good and where they can look at how can we support and make tutoring programs. Um, we've got, you know, uh, financial independence accounts for aging, um, aging foster youth who are aging out of the system. So there's, there's a lot of amazing programs that, you know, I didn't know until I started working there. And I feel like where I'm at now is a great place because a lot of the work we could do from home <laughs> and I'm here at home. <laughs> so it all worked out. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like I'm able to play a part still in um, disability rights advocacy work. Um, our previous CEO wanted to make sure that we still stayed in the community of that. So 
I've, I've been able to stay involved in, you know, community events, albeit virtually, uh, to make sure that we're, we're still supporting any sort of barriers to inclusivity and um, belonging, you know. Right. Well, I love how your journey has done this incredible twists and turns to, yeah, challenges and what you've confronted as a young as a kid and a young woman, and then how that has developed into something so meaningful today and how you really give back and help and support others in community. So thank you for that. Thank you for talking about your journey and how this has all developed and, and kind of unfolded for you and how this has impacted your life and, and created meaning for you. So, wow. And I love that your mom got you connected with that program. So funny because um, one of the moms that she got to know, I still talk to her on Facebook and it's just so funny because I always talk in my intro with the kids uh, that I fought tooth and nail. I did not want to be there. And then fast forward later, like I am a member of the DNA of this program now. Yeah, <laughs> truly. You know, that is awesome. That is awesome. And I wish there was something like that for me when I was younger, because when I was six months, I had a hole in my small intestine. And so um, my mom was 17. So she was a young mom and my dad was 19 and they were in a kind of a tumultuous relationship. And so my mom had to keep taking me to the doctor with that same mother's intuition of there's something wrong with my kid, but she is happy and she presents well. So nobody thought there was any major issue. And so she had to advocate at such a young age for her baby because it was, again, that mother's intuition, like she knew something was wrong. And every time she picked me up, it was like, oh, what's that smell? Oh my gosh. It smells like she's curdling inside. They're like, Mm -hmm. it's the stomach flu. It's a cold, same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're taught don't question. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they dismissed her either because she was a woman or because she was a young or both. Only to what happened was I went into a coma. Oh my goodness. And was, you know, taken into emergency surgery, exploratory surgery, where they then found the hole in my small intestine. And so all my food was going through that hole and I became, I had sepsis. So I had blood poisoning and it took four surgeries just to help me get through that. And yet throughout my life, and I say a type of program like that is so important. I may not have had the same type of disability, but it was because it wasn't a loss of limb. It wasn't a loss of, you know, it was over the years because as I grew my internal tissues grew and what they did is grew around my organs. And so I would have surgery at various points in my life over and over again, again, causing that, that trauma of sorts, like, oh my gosh, I got to go back into the hospital. At one point I was in at Stanford university for a month. So I do, I get it. And yet there was nothing that I knew of out there for me like that. And, and my parents certainly weren't aware. So I'm so glad that you're talking about this because there are programs out there like that. And you don't realize how you may perceive yourself as different, but you have so many commonalities. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, you know, some of the folks that um, I did the program with 20 plus years ago now mm-hmm. are still my good friends, you know, and some of them were involved in a movie called Crip Camp, which was nominated for an Oscar uh, mm-hmm. for this documentary. It lost to the octopus movie, but you know, oh. <laughs> they were, they've never had a wheelchair ramp 
to the stage. Can you imagine that in what? the 60 years or so of having the Academy Awards? Wow. Year, did they install a ramp just in case this film won and that, you know, my friends had to uh, accept their award. So ridiculous. Wow. Oh my gosh. You know, just to bring the awareness and then to have that network, that group of folks that you, like you said, now you're part of that DNA, but you were able to grow with that group and grow that group. So, which is so valuable to so many people and there just is an awareness. So thank you so much again for talking about this on the show today. As we come to the close of the interview, my last question for you is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom today, what would those words be? Mm. Uh, when you develop an insight, you know, share it. Don't keep it a secret. I think that so many times I've learned from peers who've just walked the same journey and that's been immeasurable. In fact, if I can really quick, um, sure. the Youth Leadership Forum, one of the panel speakers was a woman with a chronic illness, Sarah Triano, I'll never forget her, who told me that she had to fight to have a child. She has two kids now that are healthy. And I, you know, every time I'd talk to my mother about being a mom myself, she would just dismiss it and say, nope, 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 you're too high risk, it's not gonna happen. And, you know, later now I have a husband, he and I made sure to see as many doctors as we could to make it happen for us, and we do. I have an almost four-year-old son now. Uh, and so my mom's kidney allowed me to be a mom myself. Um, and I talk about how close we are. That was the hardest time in my life is not telling her that I was pursuing this. Mm. But of course I showed her all the evidence that like I talked to this, this many doctors. They all said, I'm a great candidate. I've been healthy for this many years. I can do this. Um, and it was not an easy road. Uh, I'm thankful my son is here, but it does take a lot of, a lot more energy to do something that some people take for granted. You know, they're like, they eat a watermelon and they're pregnant, you know, like just yeah. wives tales that like, just right. do this, like walk around the block backwards and you'll get pregnant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, these are, these are true miracles with the technology, with the medical advancements, with, you know, the testing and with your longevity of good health and taking care of yourself, your body and, and following the rhythm of your body and understanding what's going on, you were able to do this. So I'm so happy that you were, and hopefully you can help others through their journey as well. So thank you, thank you so much. I hope that is my life's goal. I think a lot of my teenage years were spent, uh, spent asking God why, you know, Yeah. and I think my adult life has been answering that question. And it's, it's because I would not be able to relate to someone like you if I didn't have this story, you know, it's yeah. like, I understand you on such a different level yeah. and others who've had challenges in their lives because Absolutely. of Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kyla, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you, Summer, for capturing these stories. Absolutely. If you'd like to connect with Kyla, you can follow her on Instagram at Discover Mabu High and on Facebook at Discovering Mabu High. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at infocorewomen.com. 
I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.